Ecclesiastes chapter 10, I am not going to ask you to stand this morning. It's a lengthy reading. Please do honor God's word in your hearts as we read these verses. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh an hedge a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be, and what shall be after him, who can tell him. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter." We come to the 10th chapter. You know, we started this in the 7th chapter. We come to the 10th chapter and we're still talking about wisdom. Solomon has shown us in chapter 8 that wisdom is to obey the law of the land and those that God has allowed into positions of authority. He's told us in the first 12 verses of chapter 9 that wisdom understands the brevity of life and understands the necessity of preparing for death. And then in the last part of that ninth chapter, he's told us to honor wisdom, to hear wisdom, and to heed wisdom. Now, the issue in chapter 10, as we come to chapter 10, I know as we read that, we say, well, there's a lot of Proverbs here, but how do they all connect together? It's regarding the respect that we show other people and that the attitude that we are to have toward them. Now, Solomon is using the example of talking to the king But we're just going to widen that a little bit and we're going to make the application of dealing with other people, whether it's a leader, whether it's your boss, whether it's a friend, your spouse, or a fellow church member. How do we talk to other people and how do we deal with other people? You know, our attitude can go a long way in determining how people perceive us, first of all, We live in a day when perception is everything. You know, I've seen that, I've heard that, that reality is really nothing, that perception is everything. Well, I would disagree with that, but perception goes a long way these days. 
and how people not only perceive us, but how people may receive us and the things that we have to say to them, such as our witness of Jesus Christ. Amen. If people have the wrong perception of us, listen, they are not going to listen to our testimony of the Lord Jesus. And so we're talking about the wisdom that it takes to positively influence a situation or influence a person, especially for the Lord Jesus. The wisdom of showing respect is not the trend in this culture today, folks. The trend in our culture today is one of belittling and complaining and mocking. And we're going to look at five things that Solomon says in these verses that will help us deal with people and deal wisely with people on a day-to-day -day basis. And the first thing we notice is what I call the course of wisdom. The course of wisdom in verses 2 through 4. He says in verse 2, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Now the reference to right and left here is not a reference to American politics, okay? I've heard some people want to apply it that way, that the wise man's on the right and the fool's on the left. Well, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the right or the left hand of the king. Where was the best place to be? It was going to be on the right hand of the king because the right hand of the king was a place of honor. The right hand of the king was a place of protection. The right hand of the king was a place of influence. And Solomon's saying, you want to be on the right hand of the king. Let me ask you this. Where's Jesus today? He's on the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished his work. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about the influence there. Consider the influence of Jesus at the right hand of the Father where he performs his work as our intercessor, where he performs his work as our great high priest. You want to be on the right hand. A wise man's heart will direct him to the right, to the right hand of the king. He's going to seek to be in the good graces of the king. If he's a wise man, he's going to seek to be under the protection of the king. If he's a wise man, he's going to seek to have some kind of influence with the king. If he is a wise man to be on the left side of the king is to be on the king's bad side. And listen, it won't do any good to state your opinions when no one wants to listen to you. You may have a world of opinions. But if someone does not consider you to be a person of influence, if you're not on the right hand, you can bark as loudly as you want to bark. You can scream and, and you can yell and you can think you're doing some good when you're not. That's what Solomon is saying to us. Just go back to Ecclesiastes 9 verse 17 where he talks about the ruler who screams from the rooftop at people and nobody's listening. We have to be careful. So he says in verse 3, a fool will demonstrate that he's a fool by his actions. I mean, you can just tell a fool, all you have to do is watch him. We have an old saying, I've heard it for years. It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than what? Than to open it and remove all doubt, okay? A fool will show himself to be a fool. We may think that being loud and running our mouths and complaining and threatening is going to have some influence, but it is not the type of behavior that leads people to think that you're wise. We've probably all seen this type of behavior out in the public, maybe in a store, maybe in a restaurant or something like that. Someone gets dissatisfied with their service and they, what we say, cause a scene. And they're loud and they're screaming, they're complaining. They're making their server feel about that tall when 
She's doing the best that she can to take care of them and to serve them. What did you think of the person that was acting like that out in public? I've seen a lot of people that I've said this, I'd like to buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. You know? And there are a lot of people like that in our world. We're talking about somebody you and I'd call a loudmouth. And they just like to, to show out and fuss and scream. And yeah, he may think he's doing a good, but what he's doing is losing favor with people and he's showing himself to be a fool. And the preacher has some advice for this person. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this message. Now you understand the practice of that day. When you went before the king, what did you do? You bowed before the king. You humbled yourself in the presence of of the king. And so somebody will ask, like verse 4, so what do you do when somebody disagrees with you? Verse 4 talks about the spirit of the ruler rising up against you. What does Solomon say? He says this, don't abandon your position. If you're right, don't abandon your position. Now what he's saying is that don't get up off the floor. Stay bowed down. Stay humble. Remain humble and don't get puffed up. Well, why should we do that? He said, because staying humble, look at what he says in verse 4, staying humble will pacify great offenses. Sometimes our attitude will just take care of those great offenses. Getting upset and jumping up and down and, and screaming and yelling is not going to do any good with those who oppose you. That's not the best way to deal with people that oppose you. What would happen if somebody had done that before the king in that day? Right? <laughs> Off with your head or however the king wanted to dispatch them, the king would get rid of them. Solomon is giving us the wisdom of humility. If you will, just look back to James chapter 4 for just a moment. James chapter 4 and verse 6 and look at what James says. Talking about God, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You want grace in your life? You want God to give you grace? Be an humble person. Don't be a loud mouth. Don't be a smart aleck. Don't be a hothead. Be an humble person before God and before man. We need to learn Proverbs 15, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. You know what it says? A soft or a gentle answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, you can talk to somebody that's angry with you and you can talk to them in a gentle way and in a soft way and, and maybe you can, if you were wrong, apologize for what you'd done and so forth and you can just allay that wrath, that anger, very easily. But if you start to argue with them, then you're only going to make many times matters worse. When confrontations arise, here's what you do. Humbly state your case and if you have to, get ready for a fight, get ready for a fight, okay? We are not talking now about doctrinal issues. I want you to understand that. We're not talking about doctrinal issues. We never sell the truth, folks. We never back down on the truth. We never back away and accept error. But we're talking about things that don't matter. Instead of trying to win an argument, try to win influence with the individual that you're talking to. You can get to a argument with someone about the Bible. and You may be right and you can state your case loudly and you can state your case firmly, but if you offend them and turn them against what you're telling, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble ever winning them to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So Solomon's saying, be humble. Keep your mouth shut. 
Don't be a fool who delights in airing his grievances. What good will it do if you win the argument and alienate the person you're trying to influence? So there's the course of wisdom. Somebody said, well, I understand that, but I was right and they were wrong. What about that? Well, here's what he gives us in verses 5 through 7, what I call the challenge of wisdom. And what it is is basically this. Solomon says in verse 5, there's an evil I've seen under the sun. There's something I've seen under the sun. Sometimes the wrong people are exalted while faithful people are overlooked. Have you ever noticed that? Years ago, there was a principle, I've forgotten what it's called, but it said, you know, the person who will advance in work is the person that's least capable of doing the job, right? And many times we see that happen. If you just go back to chapter 9, verse 11, where he says it's always the fastest that win the race, the strongest that win the battle, and so forth. If you just go back to chapter 9, verse 11, based on that, who ought to be in control today? God's people. God's people ought to be leading. God's people ought to be in control. God's people ought to be, if you will, in the White House. But because of time and chance, because of incidents, because of the way things happen, many times the least honorable are the ones who are put in positions of leadership. They're given positions of authority. But that returns us to chapter 8. What did he teach us in chapter 8? You obey those in authority. Unless they conflict with the word of God, you obey those who are in authority. What do you do when a king lacks discernment? What do you do when you have a leader that's incompetent who routinely commits error? Be humble and don't abandon your position. Just be humble and don't abandon your position. Some folks don't like conflict. And so you know what they'll do? They'll just give in and go along. They'll surrender their position. No, hold your position, but be humble in doing it. We never abandon the truth. A perfect example, I think, is Daniel in Babylon. Remember what happened with Daniel in Babylon? The king wanted to feed him a diet of the king's food. Well, the problem was that some of what the king ate violated what the law had taught Daniel, and Daniel didn't want to violate the law of God. And so the scripture said Daniel purposed in his heart. I always like that. You know what Daniel did? Daniel said, I don't care what happens. I'm going to serve God. He just made up his mind. He committed himself in his heart that he was going to follow God. And so what did Daniel do? He humbly spoke to the king's servants and asked that he not have to eat the king's meal. And of course, he prayed about it while he was doing it. And what happened? Daniel got to eat the things that God's word would allow him to eat. And so he advanced in wisdom and he advanced in his position. Daniel is a perfect example of humbly holding your ground and serving God in doing that. We might ask, how will that help? Where's the wisdom in that? Solomon's about to tell us because we come to verses 8 through 14 and we see what I call the charm of wisdom. And he starts out with some Proverbs in verses 8 and 9. Look at this. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If you dig a pit, and I think the hint here is that you're digging a pit for a trap, all right, be careful you might fall into that pit. You go rushing into a hedge or through a hedge or through a wall or through a door, there might be a snake on the other side that would bite you. 
you start gathering stones because you're going to stone someone, be careful. Now, we're not talking about little rocks. We're talking about massive boulders that they use to throw at people to stone them to death. I don't know why I thought of this. This will explain a lot of things. But mother always told me when I was about three or four years old, I was playing in the backyard one day and I picked up a big rock, threw it up in the air and it came down and hit me on top of the head. <laughs> split my scalp open. She called the doctor. What do I do? He says, pour peroxide in it. So I've been this way ever since. You know, <laughs> I have a peroxide brain. But be careful about gathering stones because it may come back. And when you're chopping wood, be careful because the axe head may fly off and come down and hit you. We were watching a man yesterday trying to start a chainsaw. And this guy was wearing shorts and he's out here with this chainsaw. He's just swinging it everywhere trying to start it. He's yanking on it. It's flying all over the place. And Joni made some comment about it. said, he doesn't even have jeans on for the chainsaw to catch that if it catches his leg. Be careful because it may come back and hurt you. Now the simplest sense of those Proverbs is this. And we're going to go beyond the simplest sense. But the simplest sense is this. Things don't always work out the way you plan. There are inherent risks in everything. And what you think will work might actually end up hurting you. Now that's a simple way of looking at those Proverbs, but let's go further and keep them in the context of wisdom and dealing with others. We may think it's a wise move to go after someone. Boy, I'm going to get them. I'm going to show them up. I'm going to ring them. I'm going to just tell them what I think of them. I am going to go after them. Are you sure how it's going to end up? We don't know. We don't know how anything's going to end up. Will you really fix things by digging a trap or by busting through a wall? Is that really going to make things better? Is blowing your top and just having a fit going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish? It won't always do it. And this instruction is so needed today because so many people today want to settle things how? With violence. And they need to listen. Just acting on instinct. Being angry and trying to hurt someone is not always going to work. And here's an example. The 8th chapter of the book of John. John chapter 8, the Pharisees. First 11 verses, Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus. She had been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, first of all, either one of them was in the act with her or they were spying on her, which they shouldn't have been doing either. But they bring her to Jesus and they want her stoned. The law provided if you commit adultery, you're to be stoned to death. And they brought her and they wanted this woman to be stoned. But Jesus said this. Now always, when you quote this, get it right. I hear so many people misquote it. Well, let him that's without sin cast the first stone. That's not what Jesus said. Here's what he said. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Jesus is saying, yes, she's worthy of death. She's worthy of being stoned. He's not denying that she's guilty. He's not denying that she deserves punishment. He's not denying that adultery is a sin. But he knows their hearts. And remember, he wrote in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. I've heard a lot of suggestions about what he wrote. Somebody suggested maybe he wrote the names of these men that brought her to him and so forth. He knew their hearts. And basically, here's what he's saying. Well, if we're going to get one sinner, let's just get all the sinners. Amen. 
And what did those Pharisees do? They all walked away. They left. And Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. Be careful. You start bringing charges against someone else, it may turn around and bite you just like a snake. And here's wisdom in verses 10 and 11. You want the ax to work better? What do you do? You sharpen it. I heard a story about two men chopping wood. Same type of axe, same kind of wood, same length of time, and at the end, one man had chopped much more wood than the other one had. And the guy who chopped the least wood said, I don't understand, because all the time we were chopping, every once in a while, you'd sit down and take a break. And the man that chopped the most wood said this, he said, you know what I was doing? I'd sit down for about 10 minutes out of every hour, and you know what I was doing? In those 10 minutes, I was sharpening my axe. Sharpen the axe if you want the axe to work better. Verse 11, you know how to keep the snake from biting you? Charm it first. Just charm the snake. Hissing at a snake's not going to do any good. You have to charm that snake if you don't want it to bite you. If you really want to influence somebody, your boss, your spouse, whoever it may be, a friend, whatever it may be, if you really want to change someone, you know what you do? You get on their good side first. We had a seminary instructor that gave this illustration and I loved it. He said, you want to stop a steamroller? You don't stand in front of that steamroller and tell it to stop and, and fuss at it and scream at it. You know what you do? You slip around to the side of that steamroller and you get up on the steamroller and you scoot over in the driver's seat. And when you do that, you can stop the steamroller. You want to influence somebody, you get on their good side first. We have a saying something like that today. You know what it is? You can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Just get on their good side. He says a wise man's heart is at the king's right hand. He gets on the right hand side of the king. Be humble. Be quiet. Don't go around bad-mouthing people. That won't work as well as you think it will. Absalom found that out, didn't he? David's son, he sat in the gate of the city. People would go in and say, well, if I was king... And he rebelled against his father. And how did Absalom end up? With his hair hanging in a tree where he was killed. Preacher preached a sermon on that. And he titled it, God Hung the Hippie and the Mule Walked On. But anyway, Absalom found out that bad-mouthing someone just won't do the job. How do we apply those rules to today? How do we apply this instruction from the preacher today? Well, you just look over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and the first couple of verses, and what does he say? I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. What do you do with a ruler you don't agree with? You pray for him. Sometimes you may have to pray about him, but at least you pray for him. Because... We will accomplish more by praying for and regarding the direction uh, of this nation. We'll accomplish more by praying for our leaders than we will by making comments and complaining on Facebook. Amen. And he's going to apply it, all of this wisdom, in verses 12 through 14. Here's the application. Instead of being accusatory and complaining, take some guidance from Solomon. He says, first of all, in verse 12... That the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious or sweet, 
but the lips of fool will swallow up himself. See, the foolish man kicks in the door. The foolish man utters threats at people. Guess what? He may get snake bit. There may be a snake on the other side of that door. People are more apt to listen to and take advice from a person who speaks graciously than someone who condemns them. In fact, there's a verse of Scripture, and we're going to quote that from Colossians in just a moment. You hang on. But when you're accusing and threatening, you know what somebody wants to do? They want to get away from you just as soon as they possibly can. They're not listening. They're not paying attention to all those threats and all those complaints. They're just wanting to get away. Look at verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. He describes the arrogant argumentative person here to the person you're giving it to, all right, if you're giving it to someone. To the person you're giving it to, you start out, now this is what Solomon's saying, you start out sounding stupid and you end up looking insane when you just want to give it to somebody. If you've ever watched a situation like that, the person you, that it's being given to if they've got friends nearby, they may roll their eyes a little bit and they look over at that friend and all their body language is saying this, help me get away from this person just as quickly as I can. They're not going to listen. You don't win anything by giving it to someone. All you do is convince them of your foolishness. In verse 14, he says, a fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be after him. Who can tell him? A fool's lack of insight does not translate into a lack of words, all right? Wouldn't it be great if a fool's lack of insight would translate into a lack of words, but it never does. The people who want to complain always have seemingly more words than they have intellect to share those words. They keep on talking. You can't tell them anything. Listen, if you've ever worked as a server, you've ever worked in some kind of retail business, even pastors are familiar with this kind of situation. You try to explain something to someone. I've had this happen many times. You try to point out to someone, explain it to them, and they're not listening. All they're thinking about is what they're going to say. All they're thinking about is their complaint that they want to give. You can't tell them a thing. So again, wisdom is in saying sweet words. Wisdom is in getting on the right side of somebody. It's a gracious tongue. It's a gentle answer. It's an humble response, even when people are complaining. And so in verses 15 through 19, he gives us some comparisons, some comparisons to look at. He's told us how to be on the right side of the king. He's told us how to be in the position of influence and favor with people. He's warned us about trying to ensnare or entrap others even with our words. He's warned us against throwing stones. He's warned us about swinging an axe at somebody. And now he warns of the danger of foolish labor for the world, for the flesh, for riches, for things that won't last. In fact, when he talks about the labor of fools wearies them, he's talking about the actions of verses 9 through 11. What are those actions of verses 9 through 11? They're the action of removing stones. They're the action of busting through walls. They're the action of, as we said a moment ago, just giving it to somebody. See, what happens is we tire ourselves out. We wear ourselves out with those pursuits which never accomplish anything. In fact, they may alienate someone. A little wisdom, just a little wisdom, would take care 
of endless trouble and endless labor, it would have just a little wisdom. And then he says this of the fools. Here's how bad off they are. Their comprehension, they can't even apprehend how to go into the city. Now, what's he talking about there? Now, remember, cities back in that day were, had high walls and they had huge gates. How did you enter the city? You follow the road, right? That leads right up to the gate and you walk through the gate. But the idea here is that the fool couldn't see that. He's going to go through the valleys and the marshes and the difficult areas to try to get into the city. Solomon is saying in reference to finding favor and influence, here's what you do. But then on the other hand, and we've covered that in these previous verses, but on the other hand, here's somebody saying, well, I, I understand that, but I want to do it my way. Here's what I want to do. I don't want to listen to what the preacher says. I don't want to listen to what Solomon says. I don't want to listen to what the Word of God says. I want to do it my way. I think throwing a fit would work better. Well, he gives us in verses 16 and 17 the example of two kings. And he says, one of those kings brings woe to the land. And he says, the other king brings blessing to a land. Now, the first king is described as a child. He's childish. The idea of feasting in the morning, talking about behaving childishly. He throws a fit. He wants his way. You know, he's going to lay down on the floor and kick and scream and hold his breath until he gets his way. That's the first king. He's the ruler of, of chapter 9, verse 17. What does he say about that kind of king? He said, he brings woe to the land. He creates difficulty. He creates problems. He talks about the second king. The second king is the son of nobles. He's pure. He's mature. He puts people in positions of authority who have wisdom and who have understanding. And he conducts himself as a wise individual. See, there are people in our world who are wise and who are animated by a noble spirit. We ought to be that way. They're governed by principles of honor. Matthew Henry said it this way, they scorn to do anything base and unbecoming so high a character. I mean, they just understand that there's a certain way to act. There's a certain way to conduct yourself among other people. And that ought to describe children of God, whether we're dealing with authority or whether we're dealing with people on a daily basis. First of all, we need to be animated by a noble spirit. What is that noble spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. We need to let him lead. I said we talked about the Israelites on the journey to the promised land in Sunday school this morning. How were they led? Well, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It is a picture of God's Holy Spirit leading us. They didn't move till God moved. And that's what God told them in, I believe it's Deuteronomy, it may be Numbers, but God told them, I'll go ahead of you, but don't you pass by me and get ahead of me. I'll move a little bit and you move a little bit behind me. I'll clear out the way if you'll just follow me. And yet some people want to rush ahead of God. I can do this. I can handle this, Lord. I'm going to save you for the big things. Well, that's a pretty big thing. But again, some people don't want to do that, but we need to be animated by a noble spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they're governed, he said, by principles of honor. What ought to govern our lives? God's holy word, the Bible. That's the you can't find any more honorable principles than you find right here in the Word of God. And we ought to be motivated by those principles. And then he said they refused to do anything 
that is unbecoming, so high a character. Refuse to do anything that is unbecoming to our Christian testimony and refuse to do anything that is unbecoming to our Christian character. That's what he says in verses 16 and 17. And then in verse 18, he tells us this. If you don't take care to maintain our lives and we don't take care to maintain our actions according to the word of God and as described above, it's like not taking care to repair your house. And he gives us this example. See, some want to live like the world. Some of God's people want to live like the world. They want to live like God's word says we ought to live. And they want to deal with people foolishly and not according to wisdom. Well, look at what Solomon says. What happens when you don't keep up the repairs on your roof? It begins to leak, doesn't it? Many years ago, Aaron and I were sitting at the house one day and there was a thunderstorm going on and all of a sudden we couldn't see out the back window. A tree had fallen into the house and of course, immediately water started coming in. So I got up there with tarps and everything and patched it till we could get that taken care of. But if you don't keep up your roof, it begins to leak. What happens if you let that roof leak long enough? The rafters begin to sag. Maybe they get warped or whatever. We may have a bad ruler. We may have a bad boss. We may have a bad situation that we're involved in, but that does not change how we are supposed to act, does it? There's a certain way we are supposed to act. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, listen to what it says. This is one I was referring to a moment ago. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Just follow the word of God. Have that sweet speech, that reasonableness that the word of God talks about. And here's what he says in verse 19. Everything has its time and everything has its place and everything has its purpose. He said a feast, feast is a time for merriment. We're going to have a fellowship. I forgot to mention it in the announcement, so I will now. We're going to have a fellowship coming up the 16th of this month. And that's on a Saturday. I hope I'm right with that. But we're going to have a fellowship. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a feast. Well, you know. Hamburgers and hot dogs, but some folks, that's a feast. Amen. We're going to have a feast and we're going to enjoy a good time. It's a time for merriment, for happiness and laughter. He said wine is used to make some folks gleesome or <laughs> merry. And he said, you know, money just works in every situation. Well, what are you saying, Solomon? By the same token, there is a need and there is a purpose for the right kind of speech for this kind of grace that he's talking about, for dealing with people the way that he's pointed out that we ought to deal with people, there is a purpose and there is a need for it. And now he closes this part of this book of Ecclesiastes by giving us a caution. I call it the caution of wisdom. Look at what he says. He says in verse 20, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. What's he saying? Be careful. Even things that you say in secret somehow have a way of being revealed. You ever notice that? Be careful about talking behind someone's back. Secrets have a way of getting out. That especially applied during Solomon's day. And if you talked about the king, again, you might suffer the same fate as the person on the left side of the king. 
But he's saying basically do not curse your leaders. Do not wish ill will to your government. Be careful how you speak. Be careful what you say and who you talk about. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew, in fact, let's just turn over. We've got a time to do that. Matthew chapter 15. I want you to see what Jesus said. You know, the Pharisees had given his disciples some grief because they had eaten with unwashed hands. And they had violated the law. They didn't go through a ceremonial cleansing their hands before they ate. And Jesus told his disciples, it's not what you eat that defiles you. In fact, he said in verse 18, well, let's go back to verse 17. Verse 16, and Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. It comes from the well of the heart through the bucket of the mouth. Amen. Don't be a bucket mouth, okay? Be careful what we say and be careful who we talk about. You say, well, preacher, why? Listen to Matthew chapter 12, what Jesus said. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Every idle word, every useless word that we speak, boy, that scares me to death, you know it? We speak a lot of useless words, a lot of idle words, but especially in relation to this idea of speaking mean words, ugly words, running somebody down, talking behind their back, we're going to give an account, folks. Amen. Solomon said, be careful. Our mother used to say this all the time. She'd tell me something I'd said, and I didn't know she knew I said it. I said, how do you know that she's a little birdie told me? I know where she got that now. Right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because what does he say? He says, a bird of the air shall carry the voice. Just a little birdie told me what you said. A little birdie told me what you thought about what I did or, or whatever. We have to be careful. Even if no human being knows our hearts and knows our words, folks, there's a God in heaven who hears everything we say and who knows everything that we think. And we'll give an account. Do you have a heart full of love or hatred? Do you have a heart full of joy or a heart full of bitterness? Do you have a heart full of grace or a heart full of thoughtlessness? Guess what? It's going to show up in your speech. The things that we talk about, the words that we use, and the things that we say. This warning from Solomon was given about 3,000 years ago. And folks, it is just as applicable today as it was in the day that Solomon gave it. Be careful. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. We would like that. Do we really believe that all of the things that we post on social media will just one day disappear? Amen. That's sort of scary, isn't it? All of those emails that we send, all of the text messages that we send, guess what? It is all seen and it is all saved. 
A truly wise person will maintain their humility. And the Word of God teaches us to be humble before God and humble with men. A truly wise person will limit their words. They'll speak with grace. They'll show respect to other people in dealing with other people. You know what they're doing? They're charming the snake before they approach it. They're sharpening the axe before they swing it. Now you say, what does all of this have to do with with the gospel. What does all this have to do with salvation? Well, for a lost person, and I hope there's some watching at least by way of live stream this morning, if you will not learn meekness, you will never be saved. What do you mean? You will bow before Jesus one day. And you'll either bow before Him as a repentant sinner, or you will bow before Him as a sinner that rejected Him as Savior. You get to choose. That's your choice. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7 that he'll someday say to some, depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. I'm not a sinner. I don't need to be saved. I've never done anything wrong. Well, be careful. You're just blaspheming God when you say that. I don't need Jesus. Well, yes, you do. And if you'll not humble yourself to realize. See, the scripture says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about people who are just understand that they are spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you'll not humble yourself before God, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But what about for a child of God? Again, we're supposed to be poor in spirit. And we're supposed to be meek and humble. Listen, we will never badmouth or bully anyone into heaven. Amen. You cannot badmouth or bully anyone to be saved. But here's what we can do. We can love folks into heaven. Amen. We can show that love and that humility and that grace that the Word of God talks about. And that will involve our attitudes as well as our actions when we deal with other people as well as our words. I just pray that as we go through the day this week, as we go through this day, as we go through our lives, that God will help us, every one of us. You say, preacher, do you believe that some of us are not humble? I'm not saying that. But if it's a word, I help God and pray God will help us to be humbler, okay? More humble. I think we live in a time when a whole lot of people are looking for something. They don't know what they're looking for because many people haven't introduced them to Jesus yet. There's a void in their lives. They're not sure what the void is. So they're searching and they try to fill it with entertainment and alcohol and drugs and, you know, things like this. I hear over and over again that these young people and especially in the major cities that are in gangs are just looking for acceptance. I just want somebody to receive me. I just want somebody that will love me because they didn't get it at home, they're not getting it at home, and so they're looking for that. And here we have the answer. We know the one who will love them greater than any human being can ever love them. And that's the Lord Jesus. They need to know about Him. May we be humble and deal humbly with other people. That's my prayer. <laughs> 